0: everybody welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter hunter chronicles podcast brought to you by tacticam tacticam is by far the easiest way to begin filming your hunts whether it's the budget friendly solo or the 4k 5.0 tacticam has something for everyone check them out at tacticam.com and of course this year we're also partnered with spartan forge uh hope you guys enjoyed that last episode with uh bill from spartan forge i think that um kind of cleared it up as far as like how Spartan Forge works, um, how machine learning uh, can be used for deer hunting and uh, how it doesn't replace uh, scouting and time in the woods. But it does tell you if you know where the deer are or you've got to be on some deer, uh, when they're going to be active um, and kind of where they're going to be uh, while they're doing that. And you can go online to SpartanForge.ai and uh, use code BOWHUNTER to save 25%. And uh, that should be opening up here very shortly. Um, next week, we will not be having an episode. Um, I leave tomorrow or tonight um, for uh, that elk hunting trip in Colorado. So uh, I'll be out there. Uh, can't wait to share that with you guys. Uh, I'm going to be out of service, uh, whatever. I'll be doing as much as I can um, from the road uh, on the way out and on the way back. Uh, So still scrambling, getting everything all ready. I've got my uh, Tacticams charging up right now. Got the LR spotter uh, going as well as uh, one of the 5.0s, and then I got one of the 5.0 wides pointing back at me. Um, That's the way that I set those Tacticams up, and uh, I like it for – Ease of use. Um, you know, congrats to my buddy Mark. Um, shot that great Michigan buck decoying, um, of all things here in Michigan. I can't believe that. Um, uh, this early in the season, but I mean, uh, you know, congrats to him. And he won our Patreon package a, a while back and was able to capture it on that Tacticam solo. Um, so pretty pretty pumped about that. Um, main camera was dead and, uh, you know, so we had that attached to the stabilizer and he was able to get it on, on camera and be able to show it. So, uh, again, congrats to him. Um, just did our Patreon giveaway for the last quarter. And, um, so for those didn't see it on, uh, uh, Instagram. I've contacted all the winners, but Spartan Forge was Cody Campo, uh, Base Map Alex Plue. Uh the Zingers was Josh Burns, and uh, the Tacticam LR Spotter is going to uh, James Allen. So he's going to be winning one of those. Um, and what Patreon is, is uh, crowd, crowdfunding for creators. So basically um, it covers all of the costs for this show. Um, everything that we've got going on um, here on the show for, from hosting to editing, uh, the website, uh, all of that stuff. Um, it helps us to be able to do some of these hunts to try out some of this gear, all that stuff, but we always give back. And, uh, so we do these big quarterly giveaways and I'm trying to figure out a way to do it like a little bit more frequently, um, because I don't feel like we're doing enough for the Patreons. I really want to do more. Um, and so I'm kind of soliciting ideas for, uh, giveaways right now. Um, so we're thinking going to be a back tension release, uh, maybe a set of arrows, um, and some packs again, um, you know, packs are one of the most, uh, I guess, personal expensive, um, you know, hard to try them all side by side before you buy them. Um, so we're going to try to, uh, get as many of that, uh, stuff as you can. Um, thank you so much to Mike Kelly and, uh, Daniel Chamberlain. They're our newest, uh, patreons and we can't thank you enough you can go to patreon.com forward slash Chronicles podcast you can sign up from our instagram or bowhunterchronicles.com uh, if you want to be entered into that stuff if you want to support the show um we really do appreciate it we're partnered with some great companies i mean the guys from zinger fletchings they just said hey you know we can give you something to uh to give away so they give away some some fletchings uh Spartan Forge um they give away uh one of their uh subscriptions and that is proving to be one of my favorite things to check uh almost daily even if I'm not going out hunting it's like man should I be hunting today um super excited about that um so they give away one of those we throw in as much as we can um, and then You know, Tacticam, I'm not sure what it is for the fourth quarter for Tacticam. I'll have to get with Rudy um, and check that out. Uh, But we're always trying to give back to the Patreons because without, you know, your support, we couldn't do half of the stuff that we're doing. And um, we just can't thank you enough. But for everybody that's listening, this podcast um, is a little bit different for us. One of our, actually one of our patrons, but a good friend of ours, Tom Taylor, um, you know, he is big in our Marco Polo group and he's just decided that he's done with um, social media, um, at least for a while, uh, because it looks like everybody's successful. It looks like uh, you need all of this gear to become successful. It looks like, you know, everybody is trying to pimp everything um, you know, every post has a million tags on it. And, you know, with the podcast and with us and with our partners and all that stuff, you know, we're just as guilty um, as anybody else. And um, it, we just kind of talked through that process, but he has uh, probably one of the more interesting uh, upbringings um, up until maybe five years ago or so. He said, um, maybe, uh, maybe I'm getting that wrong, but it was quite recently, he picked up a compound bow. He grew up shooting, uh, homemade self bows that his dad and his dad's friends were making. And then, um, some, you know, custom bows and things like that. So his, where he's coming from and seeing this evolution is like talking to an old soul. Um, and he has a very great, uh, what I would say great perspective on this. And he'll tell you, you know, don't listen to any of the hunting stuff, but I think, this podcast is bigger than hunting. It kind of goes to like the family aspect. Kind of why do you hunt? What are you doing it for? What, what's the purpose behind going out in the woods? And, uh, I think it's kind of a really great reset as we, uh, you know, are getting into the heart of the season as we're getting, you know, into the quote-unquote October lull, and uh, we're looking forward to the rut and spending more time in the woods. Um, and I think this uh, could kind of help uh, maybe ground some people and um, let us appreciate that time in the woods. I'm definitely looking forward to my time in the mountains here coming up next week, and um, I, I really do um, appreciate all of you guys that listen and all the support, and you know, everybody who's like, you know, good luck, it's going to be a great trip, etc. Um, you know, the people that are following along, I really do uh appreciate that. Thank you so much, thanks for listening. Um, and I really do hope you take something away from this episode. Thanks for listening. Hey everybody, back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. Um, John's actually in the UP. He went up there hunting and uh, is on his way back visiting a a friend of his that's pretty sick up there, so um, he wasn't going to make it back for tonight's episode. Um, But tonight's episode is, I don't know, I feel like it's kind of like a long time coming. Um, So a a friend of ours, friend of the show, one of our Patreons, uh, Tom Taylor, we met him, Like right when we started doing this uh, at the Total Archery Challenge and uh, just kind of kept in touch and kept in touch and kept in touch. And he's come to Muskegon for work, you know, shot at the Bowman's Club, hung out, shot with my daughter. Um, And we're going to talk today about kind of like the state of social media and hunting and influencing and, and all of that sort of stuff. And, uh, so how are you doing tonight, Tom?
1: I'm good. I'm great. My, uh, my family's healthy and it's hunting season and yeah. What more can you ask for? Right.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, that I think is maybe the, the best part about the whole thing is, is that attitude that, you know, that's. I think that's what's so much lost is the family aspect in, in the hunting of today where it's gotta be antler size. It's gotta be, um, you know, the coolest, newest gear, uh, all all of that sort of stuff. And, and, you know, we, we forget about, uh, you know, family and bringing, bringing things up, you know, your kids up, right, doing things right. Um, what's well,
1: really important.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not yeah. just, for the gram or for you know, we have to live up to this this standard because you know that's what people want to see or, or whatever. And your um, your upbringing, like you know, we go through this uh, often and say you know. So how did you come up hunting? I, I think Tom's story of of hunting and uh, how he was brought up hunting is probably one of the most interesting. Um, I don't know scenarios. I guess. Um And so, Tom, how old are you? You're, you got to be right about my age, a little older, a little younger. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think we're
1: we're pretty close. I'm 38.
0: Okay. Yeah. So I just turned 40. So you're you're right there. But I mean, to say that Tom is an old soul is an understatement. So. Tom, let's get into like how you were brought up hunting and like how your family did it um back in the day.
1: Right. Right. So uh So my dad got into hunting um I want to say he got into hunt- he he was always really an outdoorsman. Um my grandpa was into fishing. He he kind of got into bow hunting and got real passionate about about bow hunting. Um I would say his late teens early twenties. Um, and that my dad's kind of a salt of the earth. Um, both sides of my family are that way. I come from salt of the earth people, hardworking people, but, uh, yeah, my dad, my dad's a hardworking guy, working class guy. Um, which most bow hunters are most serious bow hunters are, are working class guys, you know, and, uh, he got real interest in bow hunting early twenties. Um, Hunted with the compound for a little bit, and then he dove headfirst into the traditional world, um, which I, I, you know, back then a lot of people were still compounds were just coming on the market, so um, I don't think it was like uh, it's not like today. You know, you hear a guy say, "I'm, you know, I'm shooting traditional." It's it's like a, a definitive decision that that guy's making to do that. Back then, it was kind of like a lot of people still did that still, so it wasn't wasn't really that uncommon. Um, I think he messed around with the new compounds a little bit, realized that wasn't for him. So he, you know, just went headfirst into the traditional world. Um, he started making bows. Um, when I was pretty young, I can remember, um, down in the basement, he had a full workshop, uh, it, well in the basement and then also up our barn. Um, the, uh, part of the hayloft he made into a, uh, a work a workshop and that's what that was his passion was building self bows um so i got into shooting at a really young age just because my dad was uh so passionate about shooting traditional and uh you know i was i was shooting um traditional bows i mean since i can remember everybody starts out with one of those yellow plastic bows or whatever but I just never progressed into anything else. You know, I, I was around all my dad's buddies were traditional guys. Um, and they, they were hardcore guys It actually took me, you know, into my adult years before I really realized the caliber of hunters I was hanging out with when I was younger. Uh, not saying any of that rubbed off, but, um, (laughs) you know, these guys were head over heels into it and, uh, just being outdoors, it didn't matter if you're shooting a compound or, a, or a traditional gear, which is mostly what all them shot. They, they did not give a crap. They were just, they were invested fully. And, uh, I was too, just cause it was such a cool community to be around. And my dad took me to everything. He included me in everything. I was pretty fortunate to have, um, a mother and father that, uh, you know, supported that, fully and gave us a lot of opportunities um in the outdoors with with stuff like that um that moved into my dad he i want to he was very involved in the Michigan Longbow Association um, for a handful of years. He was president for i think a year or maybe two I, I I'm not really sure how many years it was there, but uh he was pretty heavily involved for a handful of years, and I was heavily involved because it you know, you're a young kid and you get the free range of the place to run around and you got all these targets to shoot at and you're flinging sticks and string and, you know, it's just, what more can you ask for? Um, so that really fueled my fire. My, um, my mother was really heavy into the, um, you know, I don't know how much you know about this, Adam, but we used to do reenactments a lot. Uh, pre-1840, like a uh, fur trader reenactment. So um, I was the kid that, you know, for the few years I was on the football team. My football team was um, walking down Main Street in the parade, and uh, I wasn't with them. I was in my buckskins and my dad's uh, full five-and-a-half-foot-length uh, bear skin hat, <laughs> and uh, that's what we were walking down the – Main Street in was because we did the reenactment in town, the pre 1840 reenactment. And, uh, that was our way of kind of showing everybody that, hey, there's an encampment going on down the road. Why don't you come check it out and see, see how people used to live back in the, uh, fur trader era, the French fur trader era. So that was my upbringing. Um, and it, it fueled my passion for the outdoors 110%. That was, uh, definitely.
0: And so like when you guys would go, when you would go hunting with these guys, like what was the, um, you know, cause you're a Michigan guy. I always think of, you know, Michigan hunters as, you know, the stereotypical, uh, bait pile hunters. Um, you know, my, right, yeah. and, and granted my father-in-law really wasn't, that wasn't his style. That wasn't their style. So maybe that's, that's not the case, but I don't, I mean, I, I think about, you know, his progression. And I mean, obviously you've had many a conversation or interaction with Frank, um, you know, his progression coming up, they obviously made the move over to, you know, compound bows and, you know, changing, but their, their tactics always stayed the same. So like when you hunted with your dad and his buddies and all of that, like, what was their hunting style and how has that changed or or evolved as, as you've grown up?
1: Um, it's evolved a lot lately. Um, but our style was pretty much, uh, if it, (laughs) I don't know how to put this. Uh, you know, if it, if it felt easy, you were probably doing something that you weren't supposed to be doing. You know, it was, (laughs) it was definitely, uh, it was the hard road that was always chosen. Um, I don't remember ever going on a guided hunt. And I and I was very fortunate to get to go on quite a few hunts with my dad. Um, these guys were excellent hunters. Um, they killed a lot of stuff. Now, when you're running around with traditional gear um, in a new area with I mean, I, I don't think it needs to be said, but you're definitely handicapping yourself. You know, you're you're uh, you're making it harder for yourself. But that that's that's a decision that most traditional guys decide to go with. Um, but it was just hunt, It was the tactic was uh, dig in, find sign, hunt as hard as you can, have as much fun as you can while you're doing it. And if you don't come home with something, so be it. You're gonna laugh, have memories, and uh, it was never about um, giant deer. It was never about, it was always about the road you took to get there. It was never really about the inches that you got at the end, you know? Um, and that stuck with me for a lot of years. Um, even when I kind of moved out of the house and I, I, was still hunting with my recurve on my own. um, you know, I struggled pretty hard and I, you know, a lot of the reason I never saw a big deer come by was because I was shot the first dang thing that stepped in front of me. You know, I got totes full of little racks and, and I was happy with that. You know, that was just the, the upbringing I was brought up with. And, and you said something about baiting too. Um, you know, the, the crew of guys that I was around, that I grew up around, um, I'd say 95% of them, uh, refused to hunt over bait, but that wasn't because of like some high moral or some moral high ground, you know, that they took, that was just, uh, I just think that was the decision. They were, you know, same as the decision. They never thought, you know, oh, I'm shooting a longbow, I'm doing it the harder way. So therefore I'm better. You know, when I killed, that was never what it was. It was just like, here, I'm going to struggle doing this and I enjoy struggling. So that's why I do this, you know, and it, I think that goes back to the baiting saying, I think, you know, a lot of guys that baited, baited in Michigan, um, you know, back when our, our grandfathers were hunting, we had big giant deer in Northern Michigan. Um, a lot of that started to go away and a lot of guys started baiting and they were realizing that was the only way they were seeing deer was seeing deer over bait. Um, so I think that's a tactic that, that really took off there when, when times got real tough to kill stuff. Um, so, you know, the, the guys that grew up with never faulted anybody for baiting or none of that. It was never even like a discussion that was being had. It wasn't like, Oh, these guys are baiting and all that stuff. It was just, uh, you know, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to find them where they live in and try to kill them. You know?
0: So, uh, like, uh, I wanted to talk about, so the, the reason that I wanted to talk to Tom of, of all people that have this conversation is, is strictly for that reason. So, so coming up, you know, and it just wasn't like a, a normal, um, thing to, you know, go, you know, in the, in the world that we're in now where it's like, you want to try all this gear, you want to try this, you want to try that. I mean, they're making self bows. And, you know, i I think at one point in time you said, like, when you first started out hunting like you were like completely overbowed using 100 pound bows over your dad's or something
1: because, you know, that's what yeah, all the other guys use. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these guys were shooting, and this is very common knowledge in the traditional world. Um, you know, back in that 70s, 80s, 90s era, guys were shooting heavy bows. Um, honestly, I think it's because guys were tougher back then, but. uh, guys were guys were shooting heavy bows. I mean, my dad was shooting 70 to 85 pound bow. I think that Kyle Elke shot in Colorado with, uh, one of the self bows, that was an 85 or 89 pound longbow. Um, it's nickname was the mule and it kicked like one and, uh, yeah, they were heavy. Most guys don't do that anymore. Um, You know, with arrow technology now and, uh, arrow tuning and stuff that we know, the information that we have now is, uh, you know, those bows aren't needed, but yeah, my, my, uh, my Achilles heel in the traditional, um, route that I chose was definitely being overbowed. I struggled with that like nothing else. It created such a short draw habit you know, back then before social media or the internet or of that stuff, um, you know, my, my dad and his buddies, they just had, they had zero tolerance for my, my short draw shenanigans. It was like, pull a thing back to anchor and let it go. What are you doing? You know? And it was, it was such a frustrating thing to me. I, I, I didn't have the inf- information I needed to, to get over that hurdle. Um, and those guys weren't coaches, but form coaches, or they weren't. Olympic shooters, they were just killers. And it was like, here, just put this arrow on there, pull it back and let it go. You know? And it was like, well, here I am a 16 year old kid trying to shoot a 78 pound 75 pound recurve. And no wonder I had issues, you know? So yeah, that was definitely an issue I had.
0: So in that vein, um, it would seem cause Tom said, has said, uh, you know, recently he's on a social media purge. So no Facebook, no Instagram, no nothing, for lack of a better term. Um, and it seems like, you know, based on what you had just said there, it's kind of like a, a, a double-edged sword because there is good information out there. It seems like you've taken away from that to kind of soothe some of your problems. Um, but there's also the dark side to it.
1: Oh, well, for sure. Yeah, double-edged sword is probably the best... uh description of it but it's white noise for sure and if you don't know how to filter through it and get the information you need out of it um man it's just going to distract you bad i feel like uh you know when i was headed down you got to recognize when you're when you're headed down that distraction road too and uh i felt it a little bit right before season um I probably should have got a, I should have did away with it before this last elk hunt this last year, my wife and went on, my wife and I went on, um, cause I had kind of felt the distraction setting in. Um, I knew I wasn't paying attention to the things that I need to pay attention to. And, uh, yeah, when, when we got back, um, you know, before whitetail season, I was just, I was just focused so hard on getting, you know, all of our whitetail stuff prepped and, uh, making sure I had game plans for this and that. And, and, uh, I just, I just knew that I needed to, you know, take a break from social media. Does that mean I'll be off of it forever? I have no idea. Uh, could I be? Yes, absolutely. It, it doesn't save me a bit, not being attached to social media. It feels really good actually. Um, but you know, there are some benefits to it. You know, it, it plugged me into, um, some YouTube channels on, uh, I think the guy's name, man, I'm going to botch this now, but I think it's Kaminsky maybe, but he's a, he's an Olympic recurve shooter or a barebow shooter. I think, um, he puts a lot of free information out there on YouTube and that's the thing is some of these people, I think you just gotta, you gotta know who to listen to and what pertains or you know what information's helping you and what information is just white noise and you just got to you got to skip over it get through it ignore it whatever you got to do but uh you know this guy puts out a ton of free information just purely to help people he's not killing it in youtube numbers he's not and you know i'm sure he's got some um i'm sure he's got some uh deals going on with his uh professional shooting career But, uh, you know, he's put a lot of hard work into that, um, to get there, but he's, he's putting out a ton of information for free.
0: So, um, define the term like white noise, like what, what does that mean to you? Or what, what was it that was the, the issue?
1: Yeah. So, um, white noise to me specifically would be white noise would be, you know, let's say for instance, this guy that owns. Uh, 200 acres of land in Michigan. Um, I love following his stuff because, uh, you know, he kills big deers and er, kills big deer and he has uh, some good tips on there. Um, And then the next thing you know, you're following this guy because he's killing more deer and he's got some food plot strategies or he's doing this or that. Next thing you know, you're like, man, I don't have 200 acres in Michigan. What am I doing? This is not, this is not like, I need to quit pretending that we're doing the same thing here. This guy has, you know, he's got this going on, and good for him. I'm not faulting that person for working his butt off, getting that um, that land management set up, like, you know, like the Mark, like Mark Drury or the Drury's. That doesn't do me any good to follow along with their tactics and that kind of stuff, as as entertaining as it is. And, you know, as hard as they've worked to get all that set up, that is white noise to me. That is not going to help me get out of work at, you know, I'm going to bail out. Of, I'm, I'm working 50, 60 hours during hunting season, which the last 15 years has been my case. I'm going to work six, seven, you know, six, seven days a week almost. I got one day I'm going to pull out of work early at 3.30. I'm going to hit the closest piece of public land next to me. I'm going to bail in there and try to make the best out of it that night. I'm not going to get that from Mark Drury's channel. No knock. N- n- not knocking that, you know, but that's, that's white noise. I need to, I need to get away from that. I need to, I need to take a step back. I need to focus on myself. I need to, I need to focus on the stuff that I know that's worked. The the history that I have, you know, in the areas that I've, I've been hunting the things that I've done that's worked, um, and make my own mistakes, come up with my own tactics and, you know, there are some chance, you know, like the hunting beast, um, Dan info puts a great stuff for that style of hunting. Um, the guy that has worked his tail off to get 200 acres of hunting property and has now managed it with food plots and, and done all this work all season long, um, to hang a stands, cameras, know exactly where everything is, um dan Infault's style of hunting it may not work for him because dan infault's going to say hey man don't go into that tree and don't go into that spot burn that spot out well that guy's put all his time and effort into this one area he's not going to go someplace else you know he wants to know how to hunt and manage that land properly and um you know that 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 would be white noise for him a little bit he would you know That's, I guess that's the definition I would, or that's how I would describe the white noise that I'm talking about.
0: Okay. I can, I can totally see that. I, I, you know, I struggle with it myself, like from this perspective, from uh, doing a podcast, because I feel like I have to, um, you know, kind of be up on the things that are going on, um you know, definitely trying to put out information that, you know, helps people and is not only entertaining, but also beneficial or or informational. But then there's the other side of it where, you know, I'm, I'm on there all the time. So I see people like that are doing the same thing that I'm doing and it's, um, you know, should I be doing more stuff? Should I be posting about this? I mean, like, you know, Tom's been over here to see like, I say like the resource that we have with the uh, the Bowman's club and you know all the the you know that sort of stuff like messing with gear um tree stands saddles like I mean my friends like when I was like in high school or you know just out of high school and I had different groups of friends and some of them didn't hunt I'd be like look Come over. We've got bows. We've got tree stands. We've got basically a pole barn that's like Cabela's. If you need something, um, you know, to get other people into hunting and to kind of show them, and 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 we've been doing that sort of thing forever, and it feels extremely disingenuous to like post about it for the sake of posting about it. You know, it's like right, yeah, like putting your life on display for. For what, you know, but then on the other side of it is doing this and trying to, like I said, keep people apprised of the things that are happening and, and help people and introduce people to, um, hunters, hunting styles and things that they may not be familiar with all the while learning, you know?
1: Right. Yeah. And I think you can really tell when somebody's genuine about the posts that they put on their social media page and when they're not. Um, I think you know, a vast majority of people can sniff that out pretty quick. You know, there's, it's one thing to share your experiences, memories, and, uh, you know, you just sharing that stuff for your family and friends. That's great stuff. You know, I've, I've got family members since I've gotten off of uh social media here that have called me up worried about me, like, you know, cause they, (laughs) cause they, they love seeing your posts come in so much, you know, and they're, 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 uh, distant family members that you don't get to see that often anymore and they're a little bit older so when they don't see that those pictures come up they're like what's going on you know what what if something happened and they're they're genuinely concerned about you because they love following along with your life and seeing what cool stuff you're doing and and you know i think you can sniff that out pretty quick when you when you see somebody doing that or when you see somebody post um you know when they post a picture of a deer they killed and then they tag every single product in the picture that had nothing to do that they don't have any affiliation with or nothing to do with, you know, it's like, okay, so somebody's just looking for attention, you know, <laughs> it's pretty easy to sniff that stuff out. It's one thing to, you know, if you are in it for a business and you're tagging some companies that, you know, if that's your gig and that's what you're doing and, and you're just, that's the route you're headed down. Um, then do your thing. I'm not knocking anybody for doing it, but, um, you know, you can tell when somebody's in it for just sharing memories, uh, trying to get more people interested in it, or if they're legitimately just trying to get more free stuff. Um, there's a, there's a big difference there.
0: Yeah. I got, um, it's interesting when you talked about like, you know, guys that, uh, you know, put all their, you know, everything into this 200 acres and how Dan Infall feels about it. And, you know, kind of like the, what you were talking about on like trying to, to hunt, um, you, you know, find things that will help you hunt like your particular situations and, you know, saying that, th- you know, you're not going to hunt this way. And that guy's not going to hunt this way, man. That's a conversation. Like, I feel like once a year, like I, it, like, it, it seems like it's just about ready to come to blows with, uh, with uncle Frank on, on like the pursuit of a larger caliber buck. You know, you say you got totes right. full of the, the small, um, small racks and year,
1: year, year and a half old deer. Yeah. yeah,
0: And yep. you know, that's, that's what he does is he gets in there and he, he can kill deer Well, he can. He's having a hard time in the last couple of years, but he can, he can locate deer. He can get on deer and, uh, he takes so much offense to like trying to not necessarily change his hunting style, but just say, Hey, what if we set up over here a little bit closer to where bigger deer might be? What's wrong with Mm -hmm. what I'm doing? (laughs) It's like, I'm not trying to tell you. (laughs) I mean, it like literally... Like once a year comes to like, and then it's like oh yeah we can't have this conversation I forgot, um and so it's right. just, it's 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 interesting, um to think about because there are you know even so many people that are I've met and I'm involved with you know I, I'm I'm vested in like you I, I like, you know on the Marco Polo night you were showing videos of your your hunt and how you set up on the scrape and everything like that and it's like. You know, you could have killed this wounded or injured, like, unicorn buck. And I'm thinking, man, if I had my longbow and I was going to make, you know, I I feel like often you see that as, you know, uh, and and this would be on social media or whatever, like the free pass, right? So nobody says boy, why'd you kill that, uh, four point or three point, uh, with the traditional bow? Like, it's like, oh, every deer with a traditional bow is a trophy. You know, you gotta be super close. And it's like, man, that seems like the, like, so to pass on a small deer uh, to any deer with, uh, uh, a traditional bow to me seems like, uh, a huge pass. You
1: know what I mean? Well, I think that goes back to the, the greater point you were trying to make there where, uh, it, that whole conversation is one that, that needs to be had more. Um, you know, social media is actually, I think this is one of the negatives to social media is that it, it's created this false narrative that everybody's playing on an even playing field. Um, that's one of the cool things about hunting is it is, it is your own road to walk. Um, you get to choose how you want to do it um, what you're going to shoot, you know, there's a million and a half different avenues you can choose when it comes to this. Frank's been doing it one way for years and years and years, and it has obviously worked for him. Um, he, you know, he may not be interested in doing, you know, trying a different style, just like the guy that owns the couple hundred acres in Iowa. And it's just put his sweat and blood into managing that farm to be, to find big deer, probably thinks you're an absolute fool for going to public land in Michigan. You know, it's it's you know, I had I had a I had a coworker. Um and this was all a jest. Don't and I understand that. Like I'm not taking this to heart or anything. Uh he made a comment to me about he's been he's been out Elk hunting a couple times now, and it's been with a with a guide. Nothing wrong with that. Like I say, I'm not here to judge anybody. If that's what you want to do, do your thing. But he's gone out there with a the guy. The guy has no clue to actually how to actually find elk and hunt elk. Um, he's just gone out with an outfitter. He drives him in a side by side out there, shoots a couple with his you know shoots one with his rifle each time he's gone. Um, the elk showed up right where the the outfitter told him it was going to show up, you know, and then he makes a comment to me, like, I don't understand why you've been out there for four years and have five years and haven't killed one. You know, it's easy. And it's like, well, let's not pretend we're doing the same thing here, bud. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's what you got to understand is like, if you're going to choose a hard road to go down and get mad because you're not killing the same thing. Some of these other people are killing for taking an easier road. It's like, well, maybe you're not prepared to go down the hard road yet. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe you're not really, maybe, maybe you really haven't asked yourself what you're doing out there and why you're doing it. And I, and honestly, I think, you know, a lot of, this is something I see in a lot of adult onset hunters or even younger guys now, um, that are getting into hunting. Their, their family hasn't ever hunted. They're, they didn't get into hunting from their, their parents or anything. Uh, they're getting into hunting because of social media and YouTube, which is great. Okay. There's some recruitment value there. Um, but they haven't really asked themselves what, why they're doing it. They just, they just know they're doing it because it's fun and cool, but when times get tough and you got to really grind hard through a season, or you really, you know, just completely mess a season up thoroughly, are you going to keep hunting after that? Or are you just going to hang it up? You know, you got, you got to ask yourself that. I mean, I would bet 75% of instant of the insta flu, or in how do you say that influencers on Instagram. I bet you if you ask 75% of them why they actually really hunted, they probably would stumble around the answer and couldn't couldn't give you a solid reason. I think that's a, that's a question that people really that sh, that should be the core question of what you're doing out there. And you know, to your point about me passing deer up with the traditional gear, I just started hunting with. Um A traditional bow this last year I, I just felt like it was time for me to go back to my roots. I have some information i've I have put a ton of work. I mean, I have shot hundreds of thousands of arrows this this last year uh before season. um I wasn't a hundred percent sure I was ready to go out west on our elk hunt um with my longbow yet, and by the time our elk hunt came around with um this last year. I knew completely that I was ready for it. That's a decision that I've made myself. Now, if I was, you know, so-and-so goes out there and kills one, you know, and shot it at 40 yards and I can't shoot that far with my longbow, what good does it do me to get all upset and, you know, want to ground tune my bow? Because, you know, that's, that's, that's something I see a lot. I see that like so that, uh, that jealousy, saying on social media over and over, I see it with the guys I work with. I see it with some of my buddies. They're like, well, he shot it with a crossbow. it's like, okay, that's his choice. You know, what's it to you? He shot it with a crossbow. You chose not to, that's your fault. You know, I don't get why you're so upset about that. So that's, that's, you know, it's a decision you got to make. It's your, it's your own road. You gotta, you gotta walk down it the way you want to, you know, the playing field's not even.
0: Yeah. It's interesting that you, uh said that because i don't think i've ever really looked at it from like that decision making standpoint but as you were talking about that and when you started in it on um talking about the guy in iowa saying it's like crazy for you to um go out on public land like why in the world would you do that and i hear that a lot you know Mm -hmm. like yeah and
1: these guys probably got walls full of giant deer heads
0: oh i i was at my buddy's House and it's not Iowa, but you know, and we're over there last night, and he's got like there was like like twelve deer on the wall in the living room, and then they're scattered throughout the house, and then like his rafters are just full of antlers, and they got all this farmland to hunt, and you know, I those guys are like, why do you go out on public land? You know, like why. And he, he's told me about some spots that are around his house on public land. And he's like, why would I go out on public land? Um, you know, when I've got all of this to hunt, but Mm -hmm. one of the interesting things, like as I was like going through and like learning about that new Spartan Forge app, looking at, so there's a Intel section on there and it tells you like how many deer in Michigan and you know how many hunters all that stuff but like one of the most stark statistics on there that i never really thought about and like when you say like why do you hunt or like what you know why are you out there like to to define yourself um like you know you hear Dan Infall talk about like he likes to go out and walk past everybody and you know everything's on a level playing field anybody could just go out there um so the total public land deer harvested in Michigan, um, last year, it has these statistics on there. It was 42,130. Um, antler deer were 25,288 and antler list was uh, 16,842. And on private land deer harvested was 321,548 of 185,000 of those almost 186,000 were antlered and 135,600 were antlerless. So that's like pretty wild to me. Like, right. the, the, cause there's so much, I don't, I mean, I don't know how many acres there are in Michigan total.
1: Michigan's got a pile of it. Yeah. There's no excuse when it comes to the amount of land. I mean, the problem with it is, is, you know, it's uh it's in one area today. I mean, if you're a Southern Michigan guy, you're going to struggle pretty hard, but uh, yeah, there's a pile of it up North. Well,
0: it says 20% of Michigan is public land, 7.3 million acres. And uh, yeah. I mean, that's just wild to me. Cause then like, I mean, I feel like that's like a, a pat on the back to me. I'm like, Oh, I killed a buck on public land. You know, that's one of those, you right. know, very yeah. few. Um, but I think like that, like, like you said, like you, you say often, like, there's much easier ways to kill a a deer or, you know, in your case, you know, that you you talk about is the elk, you know, there's, there's much easier ways to do it. Um, But I think that that would go for me too, is like really enjoying like the suck, like the process. I think like Mm -hmm. Thursday night I called you when I was coming out of the woods and like, it was like 70 degrees and then it started raining and then it started raining harder. And then as soon as the sun went down, the thermals came and just sucked like all of the heat out of my body. And I'm sitting there in a tree kind of like shivering just in my like Merino top. And I'm, I was talking to people and they're like, that sounds miserable. And I'm like, it was actually pretty awesome. Like (laughs) thunderstorm rolling in. Like, (laughs) you know, it's like, I don't know. Like to me, It's like a sense of accomplishment, like to go out there and, and figure it out, you know, and people don't want to do that. They want the answer.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I think one of the other issues is, you know, a lot of guys are, you, you're talking about, you know, like I said before, you're talking about working class guys. Um, They don't have a lot of time you know, they're working with limited time and they're going to try to put, you know, you've been taught your whole life to stack the odds in your favor. So it it really goes against that. When you start making some conscious decisions about now making it harder for yourself. Um, you know, and I, I see a lot of guys, uh, they just, You know, if you're going to go down the hard road with, with hunting, um, yeah, if you don't have a good attitude, if you can't, you know, get over some of that decision, you know, if you can't realize like, Hey, I made this decision for myself, you know, um, it's going to beat you up, you know, you're going to, you're going to get a couple bad sits in you and it's going to, you're going to be like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm leasing some land next year, or, you know, you're going to start in that's fine. You know, that if that's what you want to do, that's a hundred percent fine. But I guess what I'm trying to say is like, if you're going to make the decision to do things the hard way, um, you better learn how to have a positive attitude about it and find the successes in it, or it's going to beat you up bad. And you're not going to want to, you're not going to want to hunt anymore. That's my fear with recruitment. You know, everybody says social media and it does. It's true. Social media has a great recruitment value to it. Um, when it comes to hunting and, uh, the outdoors, but I I fear sometimes that that is not long-term recruitment. Um, I'm nervous that that's more short-term or part-time recruitment. Um, I don't, I don't think that social media is really cranking out, um, those, those die hard guys. Um, I'm sure there's some getting through the cracks. Don't get me wrong, but. I just feel like when, when things get hard, you know, they want to go on that adventure elk hunt, you know, or, or some Western style hunting, or they want to go to Alaska bear hunting. Well, when it rains seven days straight on them and everything is soaked and they're cold, they're probably not going to choose to go back and do that again. You know, where, you know, those diehard guys are going to dig their heels and they're going to go, okay, what'd we learn here? What are we doing next time? How are we fixing some of this? What can we do to make it better? You know, and, and they're going to learn how, and they're going to, they're going to know how to have fun on that trip. You know, I might suck the whole time, but these guys are going to come out of it laughing and they're going to tell stories about it forever instead of the story they tell when they get back is now I'll never do that again. That sucked. That was the worst thing ever, you know? So to that, I'm going to ask you a question, Adam. So you're set. You called me the other night and it mm-hmm. rained. Your thermal screwed up. Now, did you sit down and did you write, um, did you write down or, or mentally make a list of what you learned and what, so what, what things worked for you and what things didn't. So I was
0: like on my phone making notes. as so like I was checking the wind and looking to see where the deer were, why they went that way. Um, I made all of the, the mental notes and like the one key and what I told you And knows this easier to call you than it was the text. It was that, I need to trust my gut and go do the first time exactly what I think, and like that's the the struggle that I'm having is like that, um, you know, reading the hot sign or or whatever. And I, I in that case, that day, I don't think it would have really mattered because the thermals were screwed up and the wind was supposed, the, the the wind was completely wrong, um, than what the forecast had said, but it was just because it was so hot and the rain wasn't quite there yet. And so when it switched, it switched and completely died and everything felt, fell straight down. So there was nothing that I could do. And I needed to go, <laughs> when I go in there to kill a deer, um, unless it's in the rut I am going to have to be on the ground basically in the middle of a grass field and I'm going to need a stiff wind.
1: Um, It doesn't doesn't really matter where it's from. Um, So you made the comment though. So there wasn't really much I could do because of the thermals, but um, have you figured out or have you put any thought into why the thermals did what they did? Because I would say that, the majority of the time in a lot in the areas I know where you're hunting and where I'm hunting, um, it's kind of broken up, um, great whitetail habitat. It's that broken up edge terrain. Mm -hmm. Uh, the features are changing. We're not hunting giant, big woods or, uh, fence rows. You know, these are, these are a lot of transition things. So you're going from hardwoods to fields to swamp to hardwoods to it's changing and moving around a lot. And what I've been finding in the last couple of years is, majority of the time um, if the wind speed is going to be very low or calm I almost always have to hunt a thermal feature I cannot set up for the wind direction the wind direction is never what it calls for I always have to set up for a thermal feature whether it's you know if it's going to be calm you know I'm going to be on the edge of a swamp I know that that swamp's going to suck because that swamp's going to get sunlight all day long, it's going to, that heat is going to start rising. And it's going to suck my wind to it. So if I'm trying to kill deer with the wind in my face while the sun's up and it always, it, all it, you know, a lot of times it calms down at night and the, that that hot muck is going to suck my thermals into it when it calms down at night. I've been burned enough times where I know like on a calm wind. So I almost wonder if, if this setup you're talking about if you could have was there a feature is there a thermal feature that you could have predicted going into that
0: um yes and no um if i were to have done it that way the answer would have been to not hunt that spot um because there is a big ditch that is the feature that would suck my thermals um but the deer were coming from I can't hunt the other side of the ditch and they are coming from the other side of the ditch. So my thermals would have been sucking into the ditch where the deer would have been crossing. So,
1: Gotcha. But it's interesting that you. you, So there's this, so you learn, I mean, that's what I'm saying though. It's like, that's a success in my eyes that you took from that is you now know in that spot, what to do and what not to do.
0: Oh yeah. And what's funny is like last year, like exactly the same scenario when I killed that buck was. It was the wrong wind, but it was a one mile an hour wind and the thermal and there's a draft, um, from like a power line where you, it's inevitable that it's going to be, it's going to be there. And that's what Mm -hmm. ended up saving me. And then that's what kept my wind from that buck. Um, and, and, and that, that was what I was going to ask you though, is so like you had, had said about like that trip to Alaska where everything was rainy and snowy and like, you know, for all intents and purposes, miserable, and to come back with like a good attitude. Um, how, how does one, if you were that new hunter, if you were that adult onset hunter, um, how do you like garner those skills, um, of, Like being resilient or, uh, managing expectation, doing the best with, with what you have. Like, where does that come from?
1: I would just say by setting realistic expectations, uh, you're not going to go to Alaska your first time around being a new hunter and, um, you know, you're not going to go in there and kill stuff like Aaron Snyder, you know, or, or name any other guy that's a flat out killer that's been doing it's whole life and has have spent, you know, millions of hours hunting. You're, you're just not, you need to have realistic expectations. And I think, um, really taking a hard look at what those expectations were before you go or, or are before you go. And, uh, you know, maybe even making a list or a mental list of, okay, if I even see a bear, on this trip, or if I even see quote animal that, you know, I'm looking for, or if we get one close call, I'll I'll consider this a success. If we find sign in the areas, you know, that, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a hard, that's a big hurdle right there going into a new area, especially, um, if you're going to go into an area and I'm notorious for this and my wife kind of hates it. Um, if somebody tells me about a spot, let's say they're like, Oh yeah, we went to this place one time in Colorado and it was full of elk. I almost refused to go there <laughs> because at some point I feel like somebody's robbed me of something. You know, I don't, and I'm sure there's a lot of guys out there like this. They're like, I can't go there now, you know? So to, that hurdle of just, you know, finding scouting someplace from the maps, getting out there to a brand new spot, brand new state. You'd never been there. You don't even know what the road looks like getting there. Um, you don't know what the hike's going to look like. You don't know the terrain, nothing. And for you to be able to find sign in areas where you predicted or hoped that there would be sign, that is a giant win for your first time out there. I mean, that that's a success in my eyes and I don't care what anybody says, you know, um, that's a big hurdle to get over, you know, and I think that's, that's, that's the key to it is just really having those realistic expectations and knowing that, you know, a lot of these people that you're seeing, um, on social media, if that's how you got into it and, and this is your first time that's that white noise I'm talking about, you know, this guy's killing something, this guy's killing something, man, this has gotta kill something every year. Well, you know, The the playing field might not be even, that might be a guided hunt. He's went without outfitter for the last 10 years. They always kill something or this guy. Yeah. It might be public, but he's got history in there, or he has history going to new areas for the last 30 years of his life. And he really knows what he's looking for and knows how to get in there and do it. It takes, it takes a lot of time. Um, you're just not going to be, you know, you're not going to have that wall full of animals your first year unless you go to Africa and buy them. You know, you're just gonna, <laughs> you got to be patient, or you get you know, or you get lucky. Or I guess maybe if you're just a flat-out killer and you know how to get it done. But you know, for the for the most of us, you're just going to have to grind and put the work in and find those successes. You know, and have realistic expectations.
0: Yeah, I think you know some of that has to be tempered a little bit, um, and I only say that because like you know, you've had, um, the, the experiences to go out, you know, with your father and his buddies and like learn, like growing up from somebody. So, you know, they, I mean, I guess on some level gave you a spot or, you know, you, you learned, maybe you learned along with them of like what to look for. I was just thinking about like, you know, my elk hunting experiences and, you know, and I, I, I almost put it into like, forget about elk for a moment. Be like you said, any animal, but let's talk about whitetail here. Um, I feel that way. Like when I go scouting, like when I go and look at a piece of property on the map, and then I go in there and I look at it and I say, oh, there was exactly what I expected to see there. Or I, I think like I've said it before on here and I was trying to think back in like all the deer that I've killed and, you know, you know, whatever I've killed with a bow and mostly m- maybe because of like when you take off your vacation and blah, blah, blah. But like, it's always like been rut, but I feel like, like that's where... I can figure it out. Like I think like whether I know that there's deer in the area or not, like bucks or whatever, here's a spot where they're going to be during the rut. If I sit here long enough or if I, you know, sit in there a few days, I'll be able to figure it out. Um, And I look at the same thing as scouting, but I guess I never really looked at it as like a success, like, like something to, like hang my hat on. But I guess if I was new to hunting, I would, cause I think at least at this stage in the game, I, I feel like I'm, I guess when I go in and look at a spot where I think there's going to be something, I just expect it to be there because historically it has. But if I was a new hunter and I was going out and I was looking like, you could definitely look at that as saying, okay, well it's a success because you found the sign in a spot where you thought there would be sign. Um, so I think that's a, that's a pretty good takeaway, especially for, like you say that new hunter, there's a, a guy over in, uh, Ann Arbor that I've talked to a bunch of times and, uh, he's an adult onset bow hunter trying to figure it out. And he was like last year, I don't know if it was like, he hadn't never seen a deer. He'd never seen a deer on stand. And it's like, well, you know, did you get up in your tree quietly? You know, did you retrieve all of your gear when you got back to the truck i mean you got to take a win from from something um every time you go out and you know move forward from there um but i never really looked at it in terms of like the the scouting thing which i think is a really good um
1: insight yeah i I mean i would even argue that you know i've been doing this for 30 years and i still find success and just find and sign in the areas where I think there's going to be, you know, <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. think cause some years you're just going to get beat up. You know, it's, it's not going to go your way at all. Um, and if the whole time you're just like, you know, I've got a close, uh, buddy that I work with and, uh, he got on a lot of deer last year and he messed quite a few of them up. He had a pretty similar year to as well you know, my wife and I had, um, and you could see it in his face. And, uh, it was a rough year. Guy's been, he's got big deer in the wall. Um, he knows what he's doing. He knows how to kill deer. Uh, he was pushing it. He was trying some new things. And I think, you know, instead of him stepping back and saying, okay, I'm doing some new stuff here. This isn't This this is going to get hard for me. Um, I think he just expected the same results. Um, you know, as he's had before and it, it beat him up pretty hard. You know, fortunately the guy's a hardworking guy and he knows how to dig deep and pull himself out of a slump. But, um, you know, that, that saved him. But, I, you know, and then I think once he kind of saw like, okay, I did some things there that, that weren't normal. Um, these are the things I need to change. These are what I did right moving on, you know? So he's a veteran hunter. I think even as a veteran hunter, you still got to find those successes and those, those small successes, in my opinion, they're a win. Yeah. I think they just gotta be.
0: <laughs> so this year, um, with equipment, I th- was going through it the other day. And I, I think, I would say like 90% of the gear that I'm using this year, is brand new to me. Um, Right. And like getting out and having those first couple sets and, you know, practicing it with it at home and then getting out in the woods and like all the stuff that I need to silence or that like I'm farting around with. And, you know, I haven't got my, my rhythm is like, I feel like that new hunter, you know, like to some degree, like, I'm yeah. like Jesus, you know, this needs to, you know, there's... Yeah, like,
1: clank, drop my flashlight, yeah,
0: gosh, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's why I needed that extra headlamp, Tom, too. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's funny, uh, yeah. But, but yeah, so, I mean, like, getting up the tree quietly, Um like all, all these little things that you, you know, we tend to take for granted or you know mm-hmm. you you listen to these podcasts you see these uh, influencers these hunters these guys and you know you, there was something I saw I saw it on social media or whatever it was a meme but it's like we're comparing our everyday lives to someone else's highlight reel and exactly like yeah. that's what's hard to you know you don't think about you know, these guys that are, you know, that go in and, you know, they preach all of this stuff. Um, you don't see all the times that they made the clank that's made the mistake that, you know, when it really burned them is when it, they decided that they weren't ever going to have that happen to them again. Um, right. And it takes yep. that, sometimes that giant failure to 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 make it really sink in. Um Yeah. And it it it's just super frustrating like when you when you get to <laughs> that because it was it was it was just a series of clanks and bangs and this and that, and uh, it probably took yeah. me twenty five minutes to finally get set up, and I was like this is so stupid I'm like there's Not no that. way
1: <laughs> is that your that was your first set this year
0: um my second that was my second one, but that was my first was one set. uh with
1: the
0: new gear. Well, it w- but it was my first one in the morning um in the dark. Oh. Okay. So, so so that was what was way different. Uh, when I yeah. went in the in, in the afternoon uh in the daylight it was it was not really a big deal because I it's a lot easier to be quiet because you can see where everything is and what you know potentially is going to hit or clank or bang but in the dark it was like no and then I picked a a tree with like the most branches known to man. And then of course, when I got to hunting height, I stood up and hit my head on a branch like I always do. So I had to go back down and move my platform so that I was lower (laughs) and just, you know, the the things that, that you do right at the, uh, at the beginning of the year, when you forgot that you have to, well, like how high you are going to be off your platform or, or whatever.
1: <laughs> right. So what you're saying is I should take back my comment about your two flashlights. Because it sounds like you got into the exact situation where you needed two flashlights
0: <laughs> <laughs> No, actually what, what happened is that it is from John Dudley. Uh, John Borsma was like, Hey, you know, we got to use these little clip lights. They'll be great. And one of them had, uh, dead batteries. And I had the one still on my hat from the last hunt that I was on. And I took the other one out of my bino harness, put the batteries in it. I didn't want to lose it. So I just clipped it to my hat. So I knew I would put it back in there. But when I was sending out the polos, I did have two headlamps on and that was excessive.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was funny. I'm like, what did you get into? That you needed two headlamps, one pointed off at a 45 degree angle, and the other one. <laughs> yeah, those those little clip lights are actually pretty slick. That's usually what my wife and I walk in and out when you know when we're hiking in and out if we're hitting a trail and uh burning two or three miles or whatever um in the dark out west. That's that's usually what we'll take with us because they're it saves the battery in your headlamp, you know, and if you're going in the backcountry, country, you don't want to have to carry any more extra batteries than, than you have to. And, and they're dim enough to, they're bright enough to see the trail, but dim enough that you're not like spotlighting the side of the mountain. So they are pretty slick for some stuff and they're lightweight for sure.
0: All right, Tom. So we always ask your bow set up all that stuff as we're, we're wrapping this up, but I wanted to get into, um, the one, uh, controversial conversation, uh, because I think it's a very interesting, um, you know we talk about like the influencers and all of this and you had told me that when you were growing up like your dad and the group of guys that you ran around with um they were not big Fred Bear fans and no, you said that he may or may not have been like the first archery influencer so how does that conversation
1: go this is going to irritate a lot of people I'm <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of guys in the traditional world they're going to hate me for this no i i i don't have anything against red bear i just i was making the comment that uh when i was growing up you know i was i hung out with guys that built bows uh made custom bows and then um the bear bow was a production bow. Um, you know, and it it was just kind of like, uh, yeah, it was a good shooting production bow, but you know, the guys I was hanging out with were, they were, they were about, um, supporting local bow makers. They knew a lot of these guys, they hunted. I mean, I, you know, I grew up hunting with Jim Reynolds, um, who made, uh, Thunderstick, he or he owned, uh, I think it was Thunderstick. Now I'm going to get that name wrong, and I feel bad because Jim was an ex- absolute close family friend. Um, you know, we hunted him. He was in the close knit group that my dad hung around with. I hunted with him a bunch. Uh, Dick Kerrigan, he made his own self bows. Um, he didn't really sell a bunch of them, but and then Jerry Brum and Rick Shepard, who started uh, Great Northern Bow Hunting, which that's now changed hands a couple times, but they still build excellent bows. Um, you know, to all them guys, the bear, the bear bow was just kind of a, it was, you know, it was a production bow and it just didn't interest them a lot. They didn't dog anybody for shooting them or anything. I grew up, um, you know, anytime it was always a thing like, oh, you should do traditional. Oh yeah. I got a bear recurve. And everybody had a bear recurve. And it's like, oh, cool. I remember my first bear. you know, that was always <laughs> that, was that first, uh, <laughs> it was kind of that, that, you know, mindset you had towards it, but they you know, bear bows are great bows. Don't get me wrong. Um, but Fred bear, you know, he kind of was, you know, now when I look back on it, I made the comment. He was the first real, uh, influencer. That's kind of what he was. I, you know, I don't, I might be wrong here. I don't, I don't, I'm not like a history buff on bear archery by any means. Um, but I don't think Fred made his own bows. So that's where that comment came from. was like, I didn't even make his own bows. You know, as He's kind of just an, an social media influ, or in, influencer uh, before social media was even a thing. But that being said, like it, like we talked about before, double edged sword. That guy's probably you know influenced you know more people than anybody to get into archery. You know his legacy is still just as strong as it ever was. So um, there's something to be said about that. Yeah, it was just interesting because you're like Fred Bear, He was the you know
0: he didn't even make his own bows. You know?
1: Yeah, it was. It's definitely a different outlook on it, and it was something that I always I was just thrust into as a child. I never put much thought into it, you know. But uh,
0: yeah, I would think back like I guess it would be akin to like the guys that came back from like World War II or you know, Vietnam or whatever, and like you know, the hot rod or like the motorcycle culture and those guys put their life and, you know, blood, sweat, and tears into those cars and all that stuff. And then you have somebody that just, you know, races, production race cars that somebody built for them. And it's like way different, you know?
1: Yeah. That's a great comparison.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you'd be like, oh yeah, well, you know, you got a whole team, you know, you didn't build that yourself. You just drive it. So.
1: <laughs> right, right, right. Kind of, kind of yeah. the same but, thing. I mean, you know, it's got its. It they have their place for sure, um and it's a big one. And uh you know, bear archery nowadays still even. You know, I, I think as a company, uh, I might be mistaken, but I, I think they're extremely involved in archery shoots and uh, shows. And I, I think bear archery is definitely one of the archery um companies that puts their money where their mouth is, type of thing. You know.
0: Well, I mean even from like your perspective or that perspective um you know of of all of the companies from like the major players like how many are still that vested in traditional archery. Yeah. I mean yeah. not many. I mean there's there are um and they they have you know the maybe like the Olympic style bows and the you know the what are they? Oh, I forget what it is, but it's like ILF or whatever. Um, yeah, you know yep, that that style, but not like long bows and all that. I can think of like Martin off the top of my head, and um, it's about
1: yeah. yeah it's definitely it, it's not the it's not the you know sexy brand that sells. It's not the sexy stuff that sells on the front of the magazine. You know the the newest, fastest bow, or. Uh, Uh, compound is, is definitely, you know, so it's kind of funny when you step back and you, you know, that's what was crazy about it. When I started shooting a compound about, uh, it's been six years, five or six, five or six years now. And actually I, up to five or six years ago, I had never even pulled back and shot a compound in my entire life. I remember when I went to the, to the archery shop, um, I felt like I was cheating on somebody in my life when i <laughs> i didn't even know how to explain the feeling like when i picked the i'm like you know what i'm gonna get a compound because i'm really struggling with this recurve and i just i just want to get in the woods and kill something i don't have to deal with this giant hurdle that i'm trying to get over right now and uh i remember i shot the thing and um it, need, it needed you know the pins needed adjusted so i shot it and the guy had it tuned up pretty good it was way too short for me the draw length was entirely too short i mean like two and a half inches too short the bow is too small for me i got a, i got monkey arms i got a really long draw uh so my my you know my bow arm was bent like crazy and a good bow tech would have pointed that out and been like hey man i don't think this is the bow for you but you know i think he was trying to get this ball out the door but so yeah shoot this thing okay says, so go ahead and shoot another arrow I shoot another arrow and i I ripped the fletching or I, I broke the knock or some, I, I destroyed the first arrow with the second arrow. This is the first time I've ever shot a compound in my entire life. And, uh, he had to give me like a brief, you know, like here, this is how you do it. I'm like, okay. So I, I bust the first arrow and he goes, okay, well, let me adjust the sight. So you adjust it a little bit. And now I'm like, the second arrow is like two inches from the bullseye, 18 yards at this indoor range. And, uh, he says, Well, now let's see if you can put another one. Let's see how your group looks this time. So I shoot another one, wreck it again. And now, granted, I haven't bought these arrows yet. These are arrows he's building for me. And uh, I haven't even paid for them yet. And he goes, Okay, shoot in a different spot. You're not going to keep breaking arrows before you can pay for it. <laughs> I said, okay. So he kind of looked at me and he says, you never, you never shot a compound before? I said, No, I'm, you know, not this is my first time, you know. I shot traditional my whole life. He goes, yeah, you're shooting this great. He goes, I don't touch anything. You're ready to hunt. I'm like, Oh, okay. So I come home. I shoot it a bunch, you know, I shoot it every night in the backyard for a couple weeks before season. I'm feeling pretty good. I'm like, this thing's impossible to miss with. I've got all the confidence in the world. And, uh, I'm like, I am shooting the first thing that walks in front of me. I am just, I'm I'm just ready to draw blood to this thing, you know? And so this little six point walks in front of me. Perfect heart shot, 20 yards. Perfect. Done. Now my confidence is even higher. Uh week later, doe walks in front of me. I'm killing this thing. She's at 10 yards. I shoot, six fight, I shoot six feet behind her rear end, behind her. And I'm like, what in the world did I do? You know? And I'm thinking, I, something, my arrow must not have been on my shelf right or something mechanical failed on the ball. It must've been something mechanical. Well, I do it again to the next deer. I had realized that I, you can mess with these things. And I was, <laughs> I wasn't even looking at the pins. I was instinctively aiming this <laughs> thing, you know, which was way off, you know? So then it dawned on I me mean, what I was doing. I'm like, Oh man, in the heat of the moment, I'm just going back to my roots, you know, and just instinctively aiming this thing. And I'm like, oh, okay. You can't mess with these still, you know? <laughs> so that was pretty humbling. But, uh. Yeah, I don't know what the original point I was going to there, but yeah, it's kind of a funny story.
0: <laughs> so what are you shooting now? Like what's your what's your bow setup and uh how do you um I I guess for the listener like how did you land on this specific setup going back cuz this is a I I know this is a a new bow for you this year. Um so how do you decide you know, this is what you wanted, etc.
1: Yeah, So I actually, it was, it was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be to decide because I'd, I'd been out of the traditional world, like I said, for, uh, qu- you know, quite a few years. And, uh, uh, I would say for the better part of 15, 20 years, I really haven't been involved in the traditional word, world just because, um, you know, I'd had so many of my dad's bows to just shoot that I, I really hadn't. I didn't have the need to be involved in what was being sold out there and who was still making bows. So I really only knew of a handful of bow makers that I knew were still putting bows out. Um, some of them had a long wait to have a, a custom bow built. And I was just really wanting to get one, um, quick cause I kind of just made the decision that, you know, hey, I'm jumping back into this. I'm going to shoot this thing a lot. I might not hunt with it this next year, but I'm, I'm really excited to get back into it. So, um, Years and years ago at a at a bow shoot, I shot. It was it was probably one of only a couple laminated bows that I had shot. Um, there's a difference between a self. My, what my dad built was a self bow. It's one piece of wood. The bow's carved out of one piece of wood. Um, they're they can be very deadly in the right hands. They got a lot of hand shock. They're great. They can be great bows if they're built right. Um, laminated bows are thin strips of wood that are glued together and pressed in a form. And, um, and that's how they're built. They're not necessarily carved out of one piece of wood. And then the guys will shape them down and and do what they need to do to get them to the right poundage. Well, a laminated bows, it's like, uh, their performance value is a little bit, they're a little bit quicker of a bow, I guess, than layman's terms. Um, so there is some performance value there, uh, depending on your hunting style. Um, they can be a bit of a quicker bow. So I'm like, uh, years and years ago, I shot this black widow longbow and I'm like, holy cow, this thing's like a rocket. What is this thing? You know, uh, that always stuck with me. I was just a kid when I shot that thing. Um, that always stuck with me that this bow is like a rocket What's going on. You know, this is way different than this something piece of wood that my dad's, you know, got me carrying around. So that that name stuck with me i I looked them up um yep, they're still making bows. they're actually very very popular now um I think Aaron Snyder had a big uh part in that he shot one for a while so their their name come back around got real popular, but they had some stock bows that were absolutely beautiful um and they're pretty much already prebuilt uh to the poundage, and uh they just need to um they just need to cut the shelf and shape the grip the way that you want to. So I couldn't get on board with the big bulky, um, takedown recurves that are super popular now, just because I grew up with those seventies styles, uh, seventies style recurves and longbows. So I, I couldn't, um, they were just the ugliest thing in the world to me. I'm like, I can't shoot this giant block of wood with these limbs bolted on it. I can't do it. So I knew that I wanted a more 70 style bow. Uh, Black Widow had one in stock. Um, they had it on sale. And so I called them up and I said, Hey, can you make this, what's that thing draw or what's the poundage at, at this draw length at 31 and a half inches. And, you know, he said, well, it's 54 pounds. And I said, perfect. Um, I said, can you, you know, get it built and shipped out to me? And they said, yep, we'll get it right to you. And it was pretty quick. So I had it quick. I got to shooting it right away. Um, I absolutely love the thing. So it's a 64-inch uh, PLX is what Black Widow calls it. It's a, it's a, their longbow. Um, 50, it's 54, about 54, 55 pounds at my draw length, 31 and a half inches. Um, I shoot uh, off the shelf with it, and it, I shoot day six, full length, 32 and a half inch day six shafts. Uh, there's 350 spine. Um, I shoot a three-fletch, five-inch, or a three-feather, five-inch um, shield cut feather, and those are i from. Those are hundred grain um, outserts. The Day Six hundred grain outserts on the front, and I shoot a hundred and twenty-five uh, grain Magnus Stingers buzz cuts. The Magnus Stinger buzz cuts, I believe, is what they're called. They're the solid blade. Uh, Magnus with the serrations on it, the two blade. Well, two blade wood bleeders. Okay.
0: Um, yeah, it's just a, it's a weird um, <laughs> conversation to like some degree because it's like, what sites are you using? What's your rest?
1: Uh, you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be surprised, actually. Um, when you get into the traditional world, there's there's uh, there are different rests. There's a lot of guys that shoot springy rests, weather rests, uh, off the shelf. There's guys that um, make, you know, they drill holes in the risers and make rests off melted fish line. There's, I mean, there's, you'd be amazed actually the customization that's going on on uh, some of these traditional bows. They kind, you kind of just, you know, in, in a lot of people's head they think, oh yeah, there's that, you know, bare recurve. You string it up, you fling an arrow off it, but. um, there's a lot going there's
0: actually quite a bit going on there and the world's pretty vast actually so let's just uh because i you've seen me shoot uh traditional bow um I probably need a clicker uh so what what does that uh what does that do how do you set one um et cetera for people that aren't familiar with uh what it is
1: yeah, actually, I, I will say, Adam, for your first time ever shooting a straightest ball, you actually shoot it pretty dang good. Um, in all honesty, I don't, I don't know as if you're even ready for a clicker, because that's where I was. And I only say that because I was where you were with that short draw habit. Mm-hmm. Um, I know what that is, and I can see it. And uh, it's a, it's a hurdle that you have to get over mentally. And uh, the clicker is a temporary fix for a little while, but if you haven't figured out how to beat it mentally um, it's not, it's not really going to help you. You're just going to have the same struggle, but now you got this mechanical device. You got to struggle through instead of, you know, mentally internally struggling, struggling through it. So the clicker, I, the way I use it now, the way I used it before was the wrong way. It was 100% of the time um, my way of, getting to full draw and now i have mentally overcome that um i could get to full draw every single time um no problem now now i have a now i have an issue with my release i i pluck the string pretty hard so that clicker it's a psycho trigger for me to activate my release so I can get the full draw, no problem now, without the clicker. The problem when I go to release is I go uh, pull through, pull through, pull through. I get, to my, I get into my back touching like I want. And then I actually, uh, I, I mentally want to pluck that string and, and let the string actually go. Like, uh, I don't know, instead of getting to a certain point and just relaxing my fingers and letting it go on, on my own, I'm trying to force it to go when I want it to go. So I I actually use that clicker now as a, as a way to, I get into my back tension and I get to full draw before it even clicks. And then all I do is I make that last little motion. um, And I I let that click as I use that as a psycho trigger for me to just so that I'm not anticipating the shot. So when I, when it clicks, I just, I know that's time, you know, for my fingers to release. And I get, I get a lot cleaner release when I, When I use it that way under pressure, um, I still practice without it in the backyard all the time because it's good to practice through it mentally. Um, and then I use it in times of high stress to, to check myself, you know? Okay. Gotcha. that's, That's how I use it. Yeah.
0: So since you quit social media and we have nowhere for the listeners to follow you or look you up, um, what, uh, I guess, what advice would you have to impart on the, these, uh, The people that are just just starting out or you know like just like everybody else who's trying to um improve as they go um what what would your parting thoughts be
1: oh geez um i'm an idiot don't listen to me (laughs) or anything i say (laughs) um you know figure out your why why are you actually hunting um you know are you doing it to uh get sponsorship deals with people or are you doing it because you enjoy it and you know maybe some of that stuff will come later because you're good at it um yeah why are you doing it
0: awesome awesome tom well i appreciate you taking the time it's been fun and uh yeah we we definitely have we we have to do this in in person uh one of these times when when we're together when we're together but um yeah i appreciate it thanks
1: No problem.